0: gut a deer with a dull knife we all know how much that sucks so um take a look at the razor pro saw combo kit and uh, head on over to outdooredge.com and enter the discount code nation 30 that's nation 30 for 30 percent savings on your purchase this is the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by vortex optics What's up everybody? Welcome back. We got uh, another killer episode today. You know, we got a great episode. They're all great. Today I'm going to be talking with Aaron Bell and Aaron is a fellow Iowan. And before you uh, (laughs) quit listening and say, oh God, another guy from Iowa talking about uh, big bucks and whatnot. We are kind of talking about big bucks, but we're talking about trends. Um, Myself and aaron although he i I call him young um, have spent a lot of time in the in the tree stands just like many of you have right and all this time that we spend in the tree stand we should be good by now of observing the the terrain observing the deer behavior the deer movement how they flow through the terrain um, how they react to different stimulus uh, where they bed what they eat and just how they live throughout a year and what this these observations right you can take these observations and find trends and find commonality in everything that they do which if if used properly you can take that information and you can find these trends and it will help you Become better at hunting, getting closer to deer, getting them within shooting distance, and hopefully uh, being able to kill target bucks, right? Uh, or shoot your first deer ever, or whatever your goal is. If you can find trends in how things behave, then you can take that information and use it for you, right? Today we talk about how deer use terrain, we talk about how deer react to calling, we talk about Uh, access routes, we talk about tree stand locations, we talk about bedding, how to play the wind, how to be aggressive playing the wind, and all these different things that we've learned throughout the years, and uh, I'm telling you right now, it's uh, a really good episode. I love episodes like this because uh, it's, it's hunting strategy specific, but it's kind of specific in a detail oriented kind of way right you have to know the details you have to be able to observe and uh, turn those observations into data and turn that data into uh, um, decisions right so that's what we talk about today so hopefully you guys enjoy that before we get into today's episode we got to talk about Ozonix and Lone Wolf now um, both of these companies have been a supporter of the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles since day one and um, Lone Wolf uh, is one of those companies that I, I just have a ton of confidence in right I know it's going to work I know it's going to be quiet uh, and the more I use it the more comfortable I get Uh, It's almost like another appendage on me now, right? It goes wherever I go. Four sticks and an assault is what I roll with almost every time I do a run and gun. And uh, I can get as high as I want or I can stay low. Maybe I don't use all my sticks, but uh, it can go. These stands can go in any tree. The tree doesn't have to be straight. It can be crooked because ultimately you want to be in the right spot right you want to be in the right tree not a straight tree right and sometimes 10 yards five yards can make a big difference if uh you're hunting a specific deer who uh, sits tight to edge or bedding or cover or whatever they're doing right and you want to make sure that you're in the right tree so uh visit lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and uh check out the assault and the four sticks that's what i use but you know they have a variety of other uh products you can use uh, the discount code for that is 9FC21 it's changed 9FC21 and that's going to allow you to save $50 off of all orders over $200 right so it's like a 25% discount 20 to 25% discount depending on what, on what you purchase now Uh, the second company is Ozonix again another product that I don't leave the truck without Um, not only does it have in the timber in the tree stand benefits right it dilutes your scent cone uh, your scent profile while you're in the tree so if a deer does happen to get downwind to you um, they're gonna be a little confused of what's going on right and typically in my experience they don't just blow out of there and go crazy they catch your scent and they just react differently than getting a completely nose full of human, right? They get this diluted, what is that type of smell? And uh, man, I've seen, had really good experiences using Innozonics throughout the years. They have a a variety of units at a variety of different costs. They have um, a new, uh, basically closet. It's like a, uh, that you can put all of your gear in and they have a more of a travel friendly, uh, type of closet and that's the dry wash bag that's what i use uh i have a, I have two dry wash bags and i run a cycle in that before hunts after hunts and uh man i just feel invisible when i walk into the woods and so let's see here that's ozonixhunting.com and i have a discount code for that and that one nfc21, NFC21. and that discount code is for a free dry wash bag with the purchase of one of their units. So go check them out. All right, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles. Be sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation, uh, Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. And uh, that's the housekeeping for today. So uh, enough's enough. Let's get into today's hunting trends episode three two one mr aaron bell how we doing man good dan how are you doing i can't complain this weather i'm i'm loving it the snow is almost completely melted out of my yard but now we have a whole bunch of mud (laughs) and i I got three kids so they just track that shit all over the place
1: (laughs) Like a dog right? that's right in wagon.
0: right 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 so uh you reached out to me this uh you know and, and you shared that you had some success this year uh but before we start talking about deer why don't you let everybody know uh where you're from and what do you do for a living
1: yeah i uh i'm from south central iowa uh, i live in a small town called granger yep. which is a suburb of des moines um and then i am uh I work in sales. I work for a, a John Deere dealership selling John Deere equipment.
0: Oh, nice implement dealer type deal.
1: Yep, yep. We're a big dealer here in the mid-central uh, Iowa. we kind got 36 locations now, I believe. Uh, it's called Van Wall Equipment.
0: Gotcha. Well, I'll tell you what, so now you're from Iowa, I'm from Iowa, so it's going to be, be two Iowa boys talking about, you know, deer hunting, and at this point, all everybody else that listens to this podcast is like, well, geez, it must be nice to live in Iowa, you know, obviously these guys are going to kill big deer because they, you know, they live in Iowa, but I, I'm, I will preface this conversation by saying I know a lot of people who hunt, hunt hard, hunt regular, and still don't kill big deer Even in Iowa, so um, I I think it just you know it it depends on where you're at and how you approach it. I mean, some people some people shoot big deer in other states on a consistent basis, like Michigan, and uh, you know, relative to the the state. And yes, there's a lot of big deer here, but yeah, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that there is a lot of the state of Iowa that is just ag ground right like north northwest of des moines almost all the way up until the northwest corner that's all ag ground and the deer hunting in those portions of the state aren't very good
1: right yeah no it's 100 percent. i mean all the out-of-staters you know they think there's a 170s behind every tree and and there is big deer in iowa i think you know we're blessed to live here but you know i i have a lot of buddies as well as you do i'm sure that you know they They've never killed a 150s, or you know, it's so it's it's not like you're guaranteed a big deer living in the state. Um, but we are blessed for sure. I mean, this is my opinion we are in the number one state for uh, for whitetails. I love it,
0: absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I uh, you know, I I, I was lucky to be born here, uh, live here. I moved away. I realized that Iowa ha- had what I wanted and it was where I wanted to live. So I moved back and this is where I'm, this is where I'm anchored right now. Uh, and I love every minute of it. <laughs> and you know, yeah. the, the, uh, the big deer is just the cherry on top.
1: For sure. I yeah. mean, I, Iowa nice is always the same. It's, it's, it's true too. I mean, living in Iowa, is, it's awesome. And I, I told my wife a long time ago, you know, Wolf, well, I can never leave the state. I have to be a resident, so I can always get that resident <laughs> tag. I, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't able to hunt Iowa white tail.
0: That's a fact. No, I'll tell you this right now. Iowa nice is a real thing. Um, I've been <laughs> all over the country, right, you know, barring Alaska yeah. and Hawaii. I've been from California to New York to Texas to, to Florida um, to California, whatever. And, dude – People in the in Iowa are, maybe it's maybe because I'm biased, but we, please, thank yous, manners, everything. It, it's just, I know there's different versions of nice across the world, but, uh, man, I, I don't know. Iowa nice is a real thing.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I a couple of years ago, I had to go to California for a work trip, and I was, like, doing the old finger wave, you know, in the vehicle. Yeah. And driving by people. <laughs> and I was getting <laughs> I need to get one single way back. And I'm like, man, if I was in Iowa, I, everybody would be waving back to me. So, yeah. Right. That's the th- I, and my
0: wife uh, almost gets annoyed with me because we take this back road uh, to go into town to our gym every day. And I'm throwing up the deuces, right? You know, one hand on the steering uh, wheel and you, you throw the two fingers yeah. up and uh, everybody's doing it back to me. And she's like, you do that to everybody? I'm like, absolutely. Look at them. They're doing it right back to me so heck yeah I mean it's just a, it
1: makes you feel good about your
0: dad. i know right I And mean, it's just it's all about good vibes man
1: for sure for sure
0: all right so let's talk about whitetails because uh you had one hell of a season um but you know you, you tagged out during the archery season and you shot a, a really good late season muzzleloader deer and but before we get into this um i want to ask you and this is the kind of, I think this is the direction that I want to go down. Um, Over the years, have you seen trends um, or have identified trends in deer behavior, deer movement that have, that you've picked up on and were able to capitalize on, um, I guess, bringing you success throughout the years?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's quite a few. I could probably spend all night talking about them, but one thing that I've noticed is in the last five to six years, we've at least gotten one cold front in October. And I used to, in my younger years, bow hunting. I used to never really hunt October much. Yeah. And I'd always yeah. just wait for that November time frame. But I've seen more big deer hit the dirt uh, in October and a first cold front in October. And my buddies. Um, everybody I've seen more deer hit the dirt on a good cold front in early or mid or late October, um, over green source. Yeah. And, And, um, so that's one thing that I've really seen over the last probably six years. Um, being that's one of the big ones. And I've really, I've hunted a lot now in the last five years in October. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of poor man plots on my farms that I hunt. Um, I got probably over six acres of clover total, but, um, Anyways, yeah, I, I think hunting that October little, you know, quote unquote time frame, um, like this year, for example, we had three awesome cold fronts in October, if you remember, and yep. there were multiple 170 plus on the on the ground. So, in fact, one of my buddies, uh, there was, a, if you remember, uh, October first. It, it, there was a cold front right when right. the uh, bow opened here, right? And one of my buddies put down a slammer, 180 inch whitetail, five o'clock opening day.
0: Yeah, man, that's crazy. Um, and so, so you're a fan of waiting for, or like your trend that you that you pick up on is if there is a green food source available, like clover, and it's timed you know, and, and um, a cold front comes through that you're saying the trend is that you you see a lot of um, mature buck movement in that, in those periods of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, but you have to be, um, one thing I'll stress is you have to have super cautious because those deer, especially a mature buck, um, you know, their senses are still there. They're not yeah. all rutted up, and you know, and they're not thinking just about those. So uh, if you have great access and you have the right wind, uh, yes. But if you don't have that, if you have to, like that's that's why I'm not a big fan. I see a lot of people they're putting like a clover plot like right in the middle of a timber in the opening, and they got to walk through all this bedding right to get to it. Um, well, that might not be a great spot to go to rocktober October just because you're disrupting a lot. Um, but yeah, if you got the right wind and you got um, great access for in and out, because that's one thing if you can get in there. By like three, two o'clock, you know, and wait for the deer to come to you. Um, but if as you're walking out, if you have to walk through an act field, or if you have to walk through where the deer are at and you're spooking deer, um, that's not good access. So um, I have burned out spots in the past when I was younger. Um, but you know, I'm sure you've done it too. When you're walking to your truck and it's pitch black, you hear the does blowing at you. Yep, as you walk back, um, yeah, that's that's the main thing I would say if you have good access and if you don't, you know, maybe you just want to wait until that special time frame in November. But yeah. Um, one thing I, I always think about too, and I don't know if you think about it too, but I actually think about hunting a mature buck. Like they're a different animal. Like I don't think of them like a younger buck. or I don't even think of them like a doe. I think of a mature whitetail. I think of it as a completely different animal. Yeah.
0: That's a good way to think about that. Yeah. I mean, because they are, I mean, and one thing that I've really noticed is, the that jump i I think the biggest change is from three to four uh that's what i've noticed over the years is from you know a a three-year-old you know just wants to run and he's not very he's not very keen but something happens in, in on the farms that i've hunted throughout the years where they go from you know, just kind of going willy nilly wherever they want to go to really focusing almost on every step that they take every decision that they make. I mean, I've seen, I've seen a four year old, this is a four year old buck stand and stare into a field for 45 minutes. And he barely moved. He just kind of wiggled his ear and he looked around real slow, but he was staying in one spot. Didn't lift a foot. And, uh, Meanwhile, all these other deer are kind of walking around and, you know, the older they get, the more cautious that they get in, you know, some way, shape or form. And, um, you're right. I just, you have to treat it. You almost have to treat them like a different species of deer because they, they make different decisions than a, a younger, immature deer.
1: Oh, absolutely. And to your point, I've seen just over the time frame of a uh, bow hunting, um, I've seen if you can get on the, the downwind side of it like a, let's say you've got an acre clover plot, right. And the downwind side of the, in the timber, I've seen mature bucks. They'll just stand inside the timber, like 10 to 20 yards. Like you just said, and they'll stand there on the downwind side and they'll smell the field. They'll yeah. smell every doe that's out there without stepping foot in that open. And then either they'll come off the field if they like what they smell or they'll just back up and they'll go back down their way. So I've seen, mature bucks not even step foot in an open field and know what's out there because uh, like let's let's say it's getting close to November and they want to smell those nose I mean it's it gets down to like details like that like people think like my wife I talk to her about stuff like this she thinks I'm crazy sometimes and over analyzing stuff but I mean a mature buck man they just think so differently than a three and a half year old like you just said I mean I was talking to to Mark Drury over the weekend and he made a great point he's like, you know, if you rattle, a bunch of people rattle nowadays, you rattle, you're rattle, you going to rattle every three-and-a-half-year-old. Yep. That, that's within his distance. They're going to come running right to your tree. He's like, and that's why a lot of them get killed. And he was saying, you know, a four-and-a-half-year-old, a, a five-and-a-half-year-old, you know, they might not come running dead sprint. So that's a great point. I think that kind of counter um, piggybacks off what you said, the difference between three-and-a-half and four-and-a-half, and four and I think you know that right there i think it's just uh the maturity level
0: yeah when my farm was uh, a little bit better uh, you know i would say somewhere in the early 2010s the late you know o's you know oh you know 07, 08, 09, yep. on One of the farms that i hunted i remember there was another hunter there and he loved to rattle so i would flank him downwind i would get down yeah get downwind of him and I would see, he would rattle and all the three-year-olds would beeline it right to him or the young deer. But then um, I had some really cool encounters with, in between me and this other hunter, all these mature deer, like two or three mature deer working their way around, like just to the south of him. And they would scent check him, they would catch his wind, and then they they would walk off. So it was, it blew my mind. And, and that right there kind of was one of those aha moment in the woods where it's just like, unless you have the wind and unless you have the, uh, uh, like I typically don't rattle unless I see something upwind of me, uh, knowing that if, yeah. it, if it tries to skirt me downwind, it may J hook within shooting range into me. So typically, yeah. I, you know, I don't. But one thing I, I kind of want to go back to, um, is talking about these these uh, this trend of you know an early October cold front, and mm-hmm. you mentioned green food source. Now, if I was to take away that green food source, do you feel that that same trend could apply to any food source, or maybe on a farm with uh, like no ag or or maybe it's just uh, oaks or you know woody brows or whatever does that does that i mean what i'm getting at is do you think that deer are still moving on their feet to different food sources uh, that time frame or is the key factor here the green food source
1: yeah i think how i think about that is again a mature buck's a different animal and if it if there's a destination that mature mature buck wants to get to um He's on his own time, right? Like right. there's not a dinner bell rings. and He's got to go, oh, I got to go to the whatever to eat buffet. Yep. So I've had success on, on uh, acorn flats in early October. Uh, but again, usually your acorn flats are tough to get to, right? Like you're, yeah. you're disrupting some stuff. But I think um, the cl- just going back to the clover or is it alfalfa, whatever green source you have, that kind of gives that buck. Like it gives it a destination to where it wants to go. Um, and so when a buck stands up from his bed, I've watched a mature buck, I think, you know, like 2013. I watched him get up from his bed and I had no idea he was there until he stood up. And I watched him move 10 yards in an hour. Yeah. So I guess it really got the mercy of the deer, but I would say you can have success on acorn flats for sure, but it just depends on each buck, they're all different. Um, But, uh, the destination, like a clover gives that buck a destination to go. And so that might make him either a bed close or B that might make him, um, want to get to a certain spot sooner. I would say if they're, if they're just, uh, you know, eating off of the native vegetation, eating acorns, um, they're not going to move much until that sun goes down. Right. Yeah.
0: So there was, there was a while there, I think, um, this year was a perfect example the previous two years i think 2018 and 2019 were kind of odd years where i did see some daylight october movement from mature bucks but Mm -hmm. the the previous seven years and last year i i was going through back through like i have all of my trail cameras indexed by year and i i have them broken down by out of season, which is pretty much velvet picks, and in season, meaning October 1st until January, whatever. So the when I can actually hunt, you know, hunt these deer. Right. And nine times out of ten, uh, the earliest, and when I say daylight movement, I mean the last possible uh, light of a hunt, of a sit. It, right. I think that I hmm. averaged it. To the first time a mature buck, and I'm saying four-year-olds or older, would step, would be active on my trail cameras in daylight was October 28th. So that told me right there that unless I have a deer pegged, right, um, by checking trail cameras, and I live, you know, an hour and 30 minutes from that farm, I'm not checking them. You know, I'm basically letting them soak until my rut vacation, then I go down there and I, I... you know then I check them so what I'm getting at is unless like and that's why a lot of these people running trail like these these cell cams they can really yeah. if, if they do it right they can really peg a deer and get on them real fast right and uh oh, for sure. so, so what I what I found was deer movement like mature buck movement on those farms and we're based off of trail camera data was late October and then into November. And then, so that, that told me, man, I can't even, I'm not even going to hunt. So my trend, and, and I have no food plots. I have, you know, we have ag and, you know, st- stuff like that. And it, it's definitely hard to, um, put a trail camera in every nook and cranny of a farm. Right. But one thing that I've like my trend, if I was to base it off of my farm, I would say I'm not even, I'm not even going to touch my farm until the last week of October, and that is with cold fronts coming through too. And e- right. Like, cold fronts never like back in. If you were to ask me, cold fronts may impact deer movement a little bit in early to mid October, but not enough to get me to to jump into a tree stand.
1: Right. I mean, not enough to make you risk it. Right. right? Like Absolutely. So the, do you have. I mean, do you have bedding on your property?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean who yes i'm gonna uh, obviously yes uh i have one farm that is almost all bedding i mean it's it's a hundred it's like a hundred acres uh it's some of the best thick nastiest you know like used to be pasture 25 years 25 30 years ago now it's all grown up and it's just thick and nasty uh and then it's it's got uh probably 50 Uh, 30 acres of ag mixed 30 to 40 acres of ag mixed in with all that so that that farm's really good and then my main farm that i hunt that's the one that's an hour and a half away from me that is uh, what i'm going to say here that that's it's got sporadic bedding it's got good bedding in, in different places but mostly doe bedding like the deer right. summer there, the bucks summer there, they disappear and then they start working their way back into that late October timeframe. Now we do have a couple deer that stick around, um, you know, a couple of mature bucks that stick around on the farm, but, but it's, it's all nocturnal movement until that late last week of October, you know,
1: but, typically. It's funny you say, I have, I have six farms that I hunt and three of them. If there's a good cold front, I'm gonna have good mature buck movement, um, or at least good buck movement, right? Like I can't guarantee there's gonna be a mature buck, right? But there's gonna be there's gonna be buck movement. And then my other three farms, um, yeah, it's like you know the 25th of October through November they're great, but anything up to that doesn't matter if it's you know cold front uh, or not. They're not moving too much. Yeah, it's just each farm is 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 different, and that's what I love. It's just you can't. I mean, there's no formula to kill mature deer there's no i mean there's not one way to do it that's right i think each farm is unique and they hunt different and i absolutely I mean, I think that's part of it yeah your i think dog, your farm is
0: yeah i but. think that's the key there to identify trends on the farms that you hunt right because if i voiced my opinion in a conversation and you voiced your opinion in a conversation mm-hmm. our our opinions clash right and right. i Man, I I sound like a broken record whenever I say this, but I really do think that people take what, let's say, I say, or you say, or some hot rod, you know, hunter, and they take it straight to heart. They don't know about the principles behind it and how to identify these trends or, you know, deer movement or deer behavior on your own piece, right? So I don't know, man. Um, it's just, uh, I don't, I, I get, frustrated. I mean, I, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Like, so let's take the farm that I killed my, my big Muzzy buck this year. I had a mature buck, like a one sixties, 12 in my secluded clover plot on October 15th, I believe, or around, it was a cold front one day, an hour before sunset. And then that was it. I didn't have a single mature buck on in daylight on that farm before like the 28th of october so if and that's what like you said all you know the big names like let's say you get on instagram or whatever and all oh, you're seeing all these big deer get killed you know the first two three weeks of october you're like, oh i gotta get out there well if that was my only farm to hunt and i would have went out to that farm you know i could have ruined my season before it even started because right. those deer aren't even daylight anyways right so yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's just there's different ways to hunt, and each farm hunts differently. And right. if you can figure out your farm's unique niche and hunt it um, properly, I think I think that's the key.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many how many years I screwed myself by, you know, <laughs> oh October, you know, it's uh, I, and this is when I was young too, and I was gun ho, right? Um, I right. honestly right. think one of the best things that happened to me. <laughs> as far as my success was that I had kids and that it forced me to stay out of the woods and check my trail cameras instead of dive in to some of these properties, knowing that a majority of the deer movement was still nocturnal.
1: Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Sometimes the best formula for a farm is just to stay out of it until that magic time. Yeah. Um, I mean, i heck I was young and, you know, hot rod and full of energy and full of <laughs> vinegar, like the next guy. Right. And so when I was a young bow hunter, I was in there whenever I could. It didn't matter how hot it was, when it was, whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I made so many mistakes that, and you know, we both still make mistakes to this day. That's what's fun about it. But, yeah. uh, I made so many mistakes back in my younger day that I don't even know, I can't even, you know, tell you all of them. So, right. just about, yeah, we all do it.
0: Let me ask you this. Um, what do you think? Uh, how old are you? Um, I'm gonna be 30 in June. Oh shit! So you're still yeah.
1: kind of young. <laughs> uh, that's, that's rough to say. I don't. It
0: doesn't really hit me until I say it. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I'll just say it. You're kind. You're still kind of young, right? Okay. So 29 yeah. years old, Thank man. You. I didn't. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I mean, I. I, I've been deer hunting for several year, years. I've been around deer, um, but it wasn't until 2006 that I started taking everything more serious. So then I had a, right. you know, a handful of years there where I was just failing and failing and failing and failing. Um, and uh, it, it sucked. So my question to you is when, how old were you when you started taking bow hunting really serious or, or deer hunting in general?
1: Uh, deer hunting. I was probably 18, 18.
0: So yeah. when you say, when I, when, when I asked that question, you know, and you're starting to take deer, I, deer hunting serious,
1: right,
0: uh, you're yeah. talking about access routes, scent control, like terrain, trail cameras, data collection, all that stuff.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. That's running cams constantly all year round. That's, I mean, I shock and hunted when I was, you know, knee height or grasshopper with my, with my old man, but, yeah. um, yeah, that's just like you said, that's actually taking it seriously, like learning from my mistakes. And right. I was, before that, I was just making mistakes and I wasn't putting two-two together and, you know, it is what it is. But I think, yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, I was probably senior freshman in college when I was really starting to, to really think about it in a different way.
0: Right. So, you know, we talked about those, uh, one of those trends being that, um, you know, find the green food source during October, during on October cold front and, you know, play your cards right and get in there. Um, what other trends have you picked up on over the years that have kind of led you to becoming more successful?
1: You know, I would always say, um, one, um, a good friend of mine years ago told me this um TIS, not just time in stand time in yeah. stand um the more you can sit in your stand the better off you're going to be the more you're going to learn now there's a caveat on that you know you don't want to go and like we just said maybe you don't want to go in there and ruin your good spots before they're even good um but if you can pick the right stands the right access routes um time in stand is so valuable i mean i can't tell you the things i've learned just by watching deer be yeah. deer without being just disrupted right um you know and that and then the number the other big thing that i've learned that i've really taken to heart is when i was younger um didn't matter if it was a north south whatever wind i was like yep i'm gonna go hunt this stand because that's where the deer are i know that's the deer are and i wouldn't really I, I would be lazy and i just wouldn't factor the wind into account i've very rarely will mature bucks not walk with the wind quartering in its face, um, and so I've really taken the heart hunt the wind um, the wind is is everything I think that's uh white tails, especially mature bucks, I think that's their number one sense. Yeah. I think their nose is what they live and die by, and you know they you got you gotta think of a white tail white tail deer how are they survive they're in survival mode every day, yeah. So I think you got to beat them at their nose and that's sometimes impossible. (laughs) Um, but I really just focus on wind. I, I hunt the wind. Um, and then the, the caveat on that, I really rely on trail cameras. Yeah. I mean, I run a lot of trail cameras. I really do. And I stay out of them. I don't go in there and check them every two weeks. Um, and then I have a couple cells, obviously, I think like we all do now, right? They've been in the game long enough that I think we all probably pretty much everybody has cell cameras, but uh, yeah, I rely heavily on cell cameras. I let cells tell me a lot, um, but I mean, I've also been stooped by cells. I mean, I think you probably have experiences where cell cameras don't tell you everything. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would just say the the wind and, and cell cameras is is the trend that I've really keyed in on the last few years. Yeah. Do you have any examples
0: of maybe, I don't know, some, some failure when it comes to playing the wind? Like, cause I know some people can pick up on that stuff real easy. Me, I yep. didn't, I didn't, I, I had to learn the hard way, uh, getting busted yeah. several times throughout the years. Um, not cause I, I was, I was, I wasn't thinking long range i was Mm -hmm. thinking you know oh out of this tree the the wind's doing this so i'm good right and obviously the wind does a whole bunch of different things for you know 50 yards 100 yards 200 yards down down so for me i made a lot of mistakes did you ever make any mistakes and what did that learning curve look like for you um and and how you identified that and got better at playing the wind
1: yeah the biggest mistake i would make is i would see on my weather app, i would be, oh, it's a Southeast wind. Okay. That's good for this stand. Well, what I wouldn't, I wouldn't take into account two things. I would, I wouldn't take into account my access. So like how I was walking to the stand where my wind was blowing. I didn't think about it that at all in my younger years. And that really, you know, half the time my wind was blowing into a bedding area and I had no idea. Right. Um, On on your access
0: route is what you're saying. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yep. As you're walking to the stand and then, wind swirls in all my stand locations like it's it's different. So what I've done is I've went to each like over the years of hunting I've made like on your iPhone you know how you have like a notes pad Yep. I make notes on all of my stands that cuz I mobile hunt too pretty heavily but my my stands that are already set in place on my farms I have notes to where okay if it's a southeast wind it actually comes off of the the ridge behind me and it sucks down. So it actually is blowing like a Southwest wind um, in that stand. Right. So I've really um, gotten really detail oriented when it comes to that, because half of my stands, um, yes, it's a Southeast wind, but it swirls down there or it's, you know, swirls off the saddle Ridge and it's completely different. Um, so that's the two things I've done. I, 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 know how the wind's actually blowing in the stand location and then I would say the biggest thing with wind that's really made me successful in the last five, six years is I was always hunting the wind that was perfect for me. And it was never good for the, for the mature buck. So what I say by that is like, I would hunt like a Southeast wind, I would go in there and I knew the buck was bedding, you know, to the South of me. So the wind was blowing um, in my face and away from his bedding area. Well, that mature buck's not going to get up with the wind to its, you know, wind to its back and going to walk to me with the wind out of the it. its advantage. So what I really got, um, what I really keyed in on is, okay, how is the wind good for me, but also good for that mature buck that I can kill him.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. that's, I'll be honest when it, when it comes to tree stand location, identifying that, and then adding it to a proper access route, that was the game changer for me um, when I when I started hunting real aggressive winds. Um, you know, and I use an Ozonix, so my personal right. opinion is I help um, that help. I feel like that helps me uh, because if I make a little bit of a mistake, that wind will shift either way, and the deer they'll catch something, but it won't be like a a scent full of 100 percent you know, a nose full of 100% human, right? Uh, It might be mixed with that ozone or whatever. But once I started messing around with that and not, you know, like typically um, when I started hunting, I can remember getting in there and I, I said to myself, okay, if the deer's coming from here, my wind has to be going the completely opposite direction of that. Like I was, I was almost the 180 rule. Right, Where if a deer is over here, the, yep. the wind has to be blowing over the deer to me, back behind it. There's no way that uh, that deer is going to smell me. But once I started changing that angle and getting real aggressive to where my wind is almost blowing to where the deer is coming from, but the terrain right? alters that wind yeah. or a thermal alters that wind and now the deer's walking to me and the terrain vegetation or thermals are doing doing what i want it to do with the wind man i started seeing more mature bucks when i when i did that i started seeing more deer period when i did that yeah. it allowed me to get into some crazy sets downwind of some bedding areas and almost like with the wind blowing right into these bedding areas and knowing where where the trails were oh man that 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 was probably the biggest one of the biggest game changers for
1: me man yeah i mean that's what's awesome is is as soon as you understand that and as soon as you implement that into your strategy the sightings of mature bucks are just going to happen i mean they're just going to come you're not i'm not saying every sit but you're going to start seeing them seeing them more and you're going to be like Man, this is, and it's going to click in your mind. And you're going to be like, this is how you do it. This is how you, you know, you kill those mature bucks and you get on them. And I mean, you, you made a good point. I I run Ozonics too. Um, But one thing I do that I've also done in the past, and and my dad um, always shakes his head at me when he sees how high my stands are. But I set my hanging hunt set up. I run a couple different uh, brands. But, anyways, I, I mean, I'm like 20, 25 feet off the ground. And what I'll do is I'll uh like if I'm hunting the saddle ridge, which we've all hunted the saddle ridge, right? Like we know it drops off on both sides. Yep. I'll hunt um on one side or the other. I'll hang us I'll hang depending on the wind. And I'll set my stand twenty five, you know, feet high and I'll let my wind go right over the back of those deer. Oh, with yeah. my ozonics running. So that's one thing that I've I've done too, when it's kind of an iffy wind, I can get away with that my wind will just go right over the top of them. They will not even yeah. know I'm there. Yeah.
0: Isn't that an amazing feeling when, yeah. you know, you, you, you're, I don't know, for me, it's a running gun. Well, I'll run and gun into uh, I'll, I'll walk down a valley or uh, um, the low point in the terrain. I'll find out where I want to hunt and then I'll 90 degree it right in, take a hard left or a hard right, right up the ridge on a straight line, get into, get into it. And at some point the deer have to cross my scent trail, but it's only, it's yep. not like they're following my scent. They're just crossing it. And one of the best feelings is when that first deer or maybe a doe group walks by and you're, you're like, oh my God, here's the moment of truth. What's my wind going to do? Are they going to bust me?
1: They're going <laughs> to catch my
0: ground scent and they keep walking. And then you're just like, yes, now, now the big dog can come through right now. just Now it's just a matter of waiting.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the best feeling work. Cause then you're like, okay, maybe I always think back in my mind. I'm like, okay, that doe walked across my scent. So maybe she laid her scent down. Yep. So that's covered on my scent and then it's even better. But when you, I would say in your experiences has, when you ch- started changing your access routes, did, um, did that really improve your hunting, uh, you know, experience and hunting, um, um percentage. Uh, I-
0: yes but i'm also a firm believer that you can hunt an area in any wind if you play your cards right and which which means that you can like all right so i'm i'm going into a spot you know that this spot is going to be good really good for certain winds but if a big deer is still in this area you got to figure out how to get you know if a, a target animal is in this area um i I still want to hunt it my trail cameras are showing he's in there fresh sign uh, sightings whatever i need to find an alternative tree stand location with an alternative access route to get to that to get in there somewhere and and find out where this deer's going and and how he works this terrain on all winds because deer just don't like completely shift if like for one day, you know, let's say one day it's a north wind, and then next day it's a southwest wind, and the next day it's a northeast wind, or or whatever, deer are still going to be in this area, you know, this area, and you can—that's a, a loose term—but they're they're going to be in this area. So you have to figure out how to get into that area in any wind and any access route. So um, once I kind of did that. I'm not gonna say it was a huge game changer, because I still, I guess I, I I really haven't been conservative. Like if if I know a deer's in an area, I'm going into it, right. Especially if I have a encounter with one or see one from the stand, like that. Let's say one night, I'm not gonna just sit back and let the wind shift, and just let him stay in there. I got to find a different way to get in there, and that's when. Right. That's for me when I make those uh, adjust, minor adjustments is when I, I tend to have the most encounters with target animals.
1: Yeah, and I think it goes – maybe stress like um, the fact that you're mobile, that's why you – I believe – correct me if I'm wrong. That's probably why you feel kind of that way because yeah. you're mobile. You have the setup. You're not just having like the area you're talking about. Let's say it's a you know a little you 100-yard know, whatever, 100-yard yeah. funnel but you're able to go to this side of the ridge or this side of the ridge, or, you know, you're able to go wherever that wind is good for you. Um, I think that's, yeah, you make a great point. If you're mobile, yeah. man, your odds of hunting certain spots, just go up. And if, that's one thing too. I, I think in the last five years, that's really changed my game is being mobile. But if you're physically able, I think, you know, being mobile is, it's definitely, you know, helped me out. I'm sure it's helped you out. Yeah. Just like we just said, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. I think you you can make access routes work for you just by being mobile. You know right. what I mean?
0: Yeah. And another thing is, you know, this is even for the guys, in my opinion, who don't necessarily have the means to be mobile. Maybe they got. Maybe they're just older, or they have bad knees, or their pussies. <laughs> I, don't, like, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. Well, I don't. Whatever. Whatever yeah. reason you can't be mo- mobile, right? Um, you can still go in to, uh, an area and put up multiple tree stands in one yeah. location. Dude there in 2012, I had four tree stands in about three <laughs> acres. Uh, it was maybe less no, than three acres. And I had f- for a South wind and East wind, um uh, well, a South wind, a North wind, a West wind, and then like a weird, I think it was like a South East specific wind. Um, but Th- those i i left them up and it, it led to me i bounced around in those in those stands uh for three or four days and then finally on the f- i think it was the fifth day of hunting this deer i shot him um, uh, uh shot him in 2012 playing this bounce game with him and every i saw him right i saw him a couple times in that time in in that time frame and then my trail cameras were showing that he was still in the area uh and then finally that fifth day uh it just it it, it worked out it happened
1: Oh, man, that's so awesome. That brings back really good memories for me. I remember when I was younger, and I did the exact same thing that you did, right? And you look all over, and you see a ladder stand here. I was hunting out of ladders, you know, when I was a lot younger. Right. Oops, see a ladder stand here. I mean, you could do, like, a 360 turnaround, and you see, like, four ladder stands. Right, yeah. That brings. Yeah, man, I've, I've done that, too. That brings back good memories for sure. Right.
0: Well, um, let's see here. Well, and then you made a good point when you – like, all the stuff that we've been talking about, right – being mobile, you know, the being mobile, the the figuring out how the wind works on certain terrain, you know, access routes, all the stuff we talk about all the time combined with time in the stand, right? Like, yep. don't get me wrong. I probably hunt more than the average guy does just because of what I do and my job and how I've positioned my life. But at the same time, if like you're not having to play off ever, Right. If you have the ability to go hunt every single day, why not go hunt every single day? And if you can, if you right. do it right, and I know I'm kind of talking over the people who have very small parcels, or let's say you only have five acres to hunt or 10 acres to hunt, right? Maybe that, maybe right. this isn't for you, but for the guys that I know who have a ton of public to hunt, or they have um, multiple farms that they have access to, or multiple, um, you know, multiple, uh, I don't know, sits in in a, yeah. in an area, they have the ability to be mobile. Dude. I think that even if it's, uh, getting in there and sitting off of like, it's not necessarily a kill day where you're diving deep into a bedding area and you're waiting for him to pop up out of his bed or come out of, a um, yeah. this bed to a, a feed, you know, a food source. You can you can still set up further down the that path and just kind of say, okay, well, um, I know I'm only going to kind of observe here tonight, and then the next thing is, you know, make a move off of him on him or whatever deer you're trying to target the next time, the next day, the next day. So it's this chess match where not only do you have to play for that day, but you have to position yourself like, okay, if I see this, you know, ifs and thens, ifs and thens, and then you know, collect that data and and make a move.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I've learned, like I hunt a lot too. I think you and me both hunt probably more than the average, you know, the average guy can. Um, But like, for example, this year to go off of, you know, what I've learned hunting, it was like a 75, 80 degree day here in October. um, And I just happened to be able to get off from work and go sneak out and get an afternoon hunt in, And I was hanging hunting. And I mean, I was sweating buckets <laughs> hanging in a stand in an old burrow tree. um you know how those are you know yeah. you got limbs everywhere, just an old an old tree and i mean i was I finally got set up, and I was just drenched and sweat. all my clothes were wet I had my my uh, I was wearing like a quarter zip at the time, and I was zipped all the way down i was just i was beat, but you know it got an hour before dark and i saw where the doe bedding area was because i saw where they came out i was over a clover um a clover field that gets bailed by a farmer so it's not like a food plot or anything it's just an ag clover field yep um but uh i i was able to watch where the family of does were bedding on that little farm and that you know i learned okay this is where the doe bedding's at i know for sure you know it's one thing to think where the doe bedding's at but when you know, that is, that is awesome intel, yeah. and I loved it in Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I learned where, where they were betting because where they came out to the field. So that's something, yeah, I didn't kill anything that day. But time and stand allowed me to learn 100% where those does were betting. So I learned something. And that, you know, made me successful um, in November. So, yeah. yeah.
0: So you used that intel from uh, that encounter. So you're like, you identified where those does were at. And then in November you moved in, in that area. And that's, that's how you shot your buck this year.
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly what I did. I mean, it was again, like it was a crazy hot day there's no reason for me to be out there. Absolutely not. I was, I mean, especially the spot I was going, you know, very low odds of me killing a mature buck, especially the one I was after. Um, Cause there was a particular buck that I wanted to kill in there. And um, yeah, but again, all positives, right. You got to think, where did I learn, where did I learn? So yeah. yeah, that that particular hunt um definitely played a role um late uh, or mid November for sure. Yeah. So, uh any
0: other trends that you kind of identified throughout the years where um you're just like uh, I don't know. Do you, do you do you take anything as gospel like deer always do this um if the in these conditions or they're, they always do this if it's cold or they always do this, or are you pretty flexible in your thought process?
1: No, the only, I guess I'm really flexible because I've seen mature bucks do crazy things. I would say the only thing I'm gospel at is each buck has its own personality. They're just like humans. Each buck is different. Each mature buck, I guess I should say each mature buck is, Different in their own right, and I believe they each have their all their own personalities. And um, once you understand that and understand your deer more, the buck you're chasing. Because I, um, you know, I, I like to focus in on one or two deer, just a mature buck. But once you understand kind of the mature buck and their tendencies, I think then that's what you can go after them at and figure out where he's weak. But I think I haven't hunted two mature bucks out of the exact same. I don't know if you have, but uh, I mean, they're all different, right yeah and so I think that's the only thing that I really take to heart is just because I killed a, a giant in 2014 doing this routine, this buck was do, traveling this way doesn't mean that I'm gonna kill a buck in 2021 doing the exact same thing uh, because it's not the same deer. yeah so yeah, I've had deer
0: uh, throughout the years. Um, let's see here how do I, how do I state this? I feel like deer will use the terrain and trails and like and and wind like i would say that they that's that's something that's the same right right Uh, they they will they will they will flow through the environment the same however uh when it comes to real personalities i've noticed like certain certain bucks just do not like being called at and maybe it's yeah. a, a bad experience or maybe it, it it has it's maybe one time you know oh man that's a that's a there's that a fight breaking i'm gonna run over there and go check it and then they get hit with an arrow they don't kill them and then they're just like i'm done running into rattles right, right. or some deer uh, i've been able to turn deer with a like a single grunt like brap and then they'll stop they'll get yeah. curious and I, I know a lot of that has to, it depends on current state of mind, right? Uh, like reading, reading body language. Once I was able to read body language of a deer, like if they're raking a tree or they're stomp, you know, like they're making a scrape. I've been more successful, like when a, when I can read a deer's body language and know whether or not i want to call at them but there's just some deer that just do not respond to calls i mean they they you can grunt at them you can rattle them you can snort wheeze at them you can do whatever you want and they just are their mind is made up and they're going away from you
1: yeah no i've seen the exact exact same thing i i was chasing a buck this year the farmer's 100 acres and it's quite a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of deer that live on the farm but he i called him goonie because you you know the movie goonies and, oh yeah um, Like, Hey, you guys, (laughs) this buck just reminded me of him because he, he had like a big three point side and then he had a really nice four point side. So he's a big seven pointer and he was probably 23 inches wide. I mean, 22, 23 inch main beams. Like he was a big frame deer, but just wouldn't score, score well. Right. Right. But super mature. And I watched him seven different times. I passed him three times in October and i watched him from the stand seven different times and i i would watch him he was so timid he hated confrontation like think of like your buddy or you have a boss that does not like to have tough talks with you or confrontation or anything like that and they're always they, they're super shy this buck was like that like whenever he saw a buck it didn't matter if it was a year and a half two and a half three and a half scrub buck it didn't matter if he was out in the clover field i would watch this buck he would back chase his steps and he would go and feed somewhere else and even in the rut i watched him in the rut and he would nudge a doe or two but man i watched him run a, the opposite way um from does and bucks because there was a buck around or he was just so timid and shy he it's just like he was a loner and he hated being messed with he hated even being around other deer every trail camp picture I, I have of him is literally just him um he would always show up to my clover plot when it was just him. I mean, he was just a – that just goes back to his personality, right? Like, yeah. I think he just had a unique personality. And so that's a buck, like going back to tactics, like that's a buck that I'm not going to call to. I'm not going to grunt right. at because, like you said, he's going to tuck his tail and run the other way. And so, yeah, I think it's that's what I learned with him. Like, yeah. and that time and sand, going back, let's circle back, time and sand allowed me to kind of understand him and learn, learn him a little bit better. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, he was just, you know, I think you probably had a, some bucks in him, oh, yeah. but he was, he didn't, he didn't want any part of any other deer. That's he was the, not social.
0: Yeah. That's the kind of deer you're going to only kill one way and that's access, right? You're going to, yep. you got to find a way to just get him in a shooting lane and he, cause it's almost like those deer know where, know where the tree stands are like the set tree stands. Yeah, there's a on one of the farms that that I hunt, you know, the the guys have been hunting these ladder stands for several years, I mean, 10, maybe longer. So all of my like the deer, the deer just don't walk by them. Really? Right. I mean, I, I would say yes, within shooting range, but not like close like or i want a 20 yard shot or in i would love that right but a lot of these these trails have just kept moving further away and further away from these tree stands and uh man i've just i don't know the deer get used to it and they just kind of especially a couple of the bucks that the example that you just showed where the deer they, they almost go out of their way to avoid certain places like if they're going to, they're, if they're going to go through an area, they're just going to take the long, take the long road. Um, and I have right. a, I had a really cool encounter where I was watching this buck that I, uh, then I mean, this was like 2014, actually okay. in the, in the same bedding area that I killed my buck in 2000 and, uh, same place that I killed my buck in 2012, It was 2014 or 2015. I know because I didn't kill a deer that year, those years. I was watching this big mature buck. I mean, he was a four-year-old, maybe even a five-year-old. And he was like a a 10, maybe mid-140s, low 140s. And he was 10 in a doe. Like he he didn't, I didn't watch him breed her. But then I watched a three-year-old come in. (laughs) And that guy just turned around and walked away. He gave up on that doe because right? I, I felt like he didn't want to fight. And right. he he had weight on this deer. He had antler size on this deer. He probably, if he wanted to, could have could have fought him away. But he decided he didn't want to do that. He wanted everything easy. And uh, even watching him go out into the field to feed, he walked away from the group the group mm-hmm. of deers and fed in his own little area. So uh, yeah, I've definitely i've i've seen that stuff uh, uh, stuff. So one thing that I just want to say is I think teaching yourself how to observe might be one of the, like one thing that can turn an average hunter into a killer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not, not just yep. walking out and hunting. Like you can spend as much time in the tree stand as you want, but if you don't walk out observing and taking something away from every hunt, right? I think you're just, you're losing at that point
1: right yeah no i agree 100 percent. i mean you learn something from every hunt. yeah and i think to cap, to caveat on that like an observation hunt you know those aren't talked about enough i mean i i feel like everybody when they want to hunt like let's say they have a 60 acre farm yep. and every time they go out they want to hunt their best spot well that might you know that might work but observation hunt sitting back sitting back in a stand Way you know off on a field edge or wherever it's at early in the season, um, you're not disrupting much. You know you might learn a lot more from that sit um, yeah. than if you would go into in the timber and you, you know on a on a ridge on one of your best spots. So right. yeah, I think absolutely learning as you walk. I mean, each farm, you know, I'll I'll see different new fresh scrapes or fresh rubs or every time you walk in, right? Like just kind of making a mental note of those. um yeah i mean you're gonna learn how the deer how the deer are using the property yep absolutely absolutely well man thanks for taking time out
0: of your day to come do this i wish we had more time because uh we could sit here and and bs all day long about trends and things that we've learned throughout the years but uh uh, and we really didn't even get into your uh you know your the deer that you shot and what they were doing and we might save that for another episode uh for this this year but uh just like real quick you you shot what date did you shoot your bow buck this year?
1: Uh, November 12th,
0: November 12th. And then what, and your Muzzy man, he was impressive. What, uh, what'd you shoot?
1: Uh, I killed him on December, the first day of late Muzzy. So December.
0: Yeah. Did you have a, uh, did you actually have a, um, picture or any Intel of him?
1: Yeah, I, I had him pretty well patterned, probably the best I've ever had up, bucks pattern that just so happened to be a you know an absolute giant but uh so the first the eight days previous of the opener of late Muzzy, um the eight days i had him on camera five of those eight yeah in the morning and the three days that he wasn't on camera was a south wind and then all the other five days there was at least a north wind um in it so I, uh, you know, that first day like Muzzy was a North wind. So, um, yeah, that's what, uh, that's what allowed me to get, get in there and come. So I had the bedding on my property. Okay. He was coming to bed, but he would only bed on a certain time.
0: So, so he was out feeding on somebody else's property and, and, uh, he came in within, he came in, uh, to the bedding area that you were in. Uh, right, you know, right at first light or cause typically, you know, once the, the ruts over and we're talking about late muzzy, um, they're, you know, pretty much done moving by the time the sun comes up.
1: Yeah, no, I had the bedding. Um, I had the bedding. Well, I, I had a interior clover plot that he was uh, feeding on a little bit, but I, I had the bedding that he was, uh, bedding on. There's the property surrounds me has, um, it's a super competitive area really high uh maintained there's a bunch of food plots i mean my neighbor leaves like 50 acres of standing soybeans jesus um so oh yeah it's it's super well it's like highly managed yeah competitive yeah but uh no so yeah i had the betting and so on on a north wind and no matter how the north was if it was northwest northeast north he was coming to bed on my property um and even a couple of days it was a west wind he was coming to bed so yeah, anything on a south, he would not come. Um, he either bedded somewhere else, or he came. He had a different access to the bed. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's how it went down. I mean, I just I, I, the first morning, it was um, it was always like a half hour to an hour after um, shooting light. Yeah, and it would just that's the only thing that was really changed. Is it was either it was never like around the same time. It was either like um, it was either a half hour to an hour after. So he was on his feet, you know, a little uh, longer than than usual for a mature buck, you know, in late season. Right.
0: Okay. Cool, man. Well, congrats on a awesome year, um, knocking down two really good deer. Um, man, uh, what did what did that uh, that muzzleloader deer score? Just for reference.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, he was right at one eighty six, um, not officially. Yeah, he's a giant. Uh, I didn't. I scored him. Yeah. Um, and so I'm. I'm usually within an inch or two um but i was i was super conservative um he's got 27 and 27 inch main beams uh Ooh. he's over 23 inches wide yeah
0: man biggest shed i ever found had 27 i've, I've looking at it right now it's a big eight point side or a four point side and it was uh, 27 i believe 27 inch main beam and, and man when a deer has long main beams man i, I get really excited about that
1: Oh man, I love it. Like, like shit. I love sheds. Yeah. I love deer hut. Well, not much, but just about. Right. So, yeah. I mean, a twenty-seven inch main beam. That's that's a lot of bone.
0: That's right. Well, hey man, um, I, I, we've been trying to end this now for like five minutes, but uh, uh, <laughs> right. congratulations on an awesome year. Thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, BS with me about uh, all this strategy talk and uh, good luck in twenty twenty one, man.
1: Yeah, thanks,
0: Dan. This was fun. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Aaron for taking time out of his day to hop on and chat with us about these uh, this hunting strategy that uh, me and him use. Also, huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to hop on and chit chat with us, man. Really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Huge shout out to. Ozonix, Lone Wolf, Wasp, and Vortex. Man, please go out and support these companies because they support this podcast, right? I bring them to your attention and uh, you get all this free content because they pay me to put it out and uh, hopefully you can go out and purchase uh, some gear from from them and it's, it comes full circle. So I would really appreciate that. Go to iTunes, leave a, re- a review. This this podcast is badass. So nothing less than, nothing less than five stars uh you can do whatever you want but uh there's that have a good day love your neighbor send good vibes out to the world get outside breathe fresh air it will solve your problems and we'll talk to you next time